Welcome, and thanks for joining us at the Central Baptist Victoria podcast. Today, as we continue our series on questions Jesus asked, our desire is to be challenged by his teaching and changed more into his likeness. Now, here's today's message. Scripture reading this morning is taken from Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14, starting at verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. And immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Well, good morning, church. It's good to welcome you here this morning. My name is Phil Horton. I'm one of the pastors here. If you haven't met me, and it's a delight to welcome you to worship this morning. We are on our penultimate question this morning. We've been going through a series called Questions Jesus Asked, and uh, we've been working our way through the stories of Jesus and looking at the way he uses questions so strategically in his teaching. And we've been noticing that he's directing a lot of this teaching at his disciples, at the 12 whom he loved and was seeking to equip for that time when he would no longer be with them and when they would carry the mission of Jesus into the world. And so we're on our second to last question in this series. This past week, Martha and I were visiting someone in our seniors community who will remain unnamed this morning, but we were admiring this person's garden. It was amazing how everything in this garden seemed to be flourishing. It was obviously a garden that was well cared for, uh, cared for consistently and attentively. In the course of later conversation, Martha, who loves gardening, and this person who obviously loves gardening, were speaking about why some people just are not good gardeners. I was sitting across the room keeping silent because I'm one of those people who is not a good gardener. But I discovered something through this conversation that one of the keys to making things grow in your garden is you have to water them. So our first theological point this morning is if you want something to grow in your garden, you should be attentive to it. You should water it. You should nourish it. You should care for it. You should Here's the word to listen, listen for. You should be attentive. Now we come to the question in our focus today, and what I want to suggest is there's something 
in the main character of our story today that needs to grow. Something needs to grow in him. So listen carefully to the whole of Jesus' question here as we see it on the screen here. Jesus says to Peter, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus seems to be saying to Peter here, in this circumstance, and by the way, Peter's doing something that no man has ever done before. But Jesus is saying to Peter in this circumstance, you doubted because your faith was too small. Well, just before we seek to put this question in the larger context of the story, let's dig around a little bit, pardon the gardening pun, and explore what the meaning of these two words are, faith and doubt. So the word faith is a Greek word which the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia suggests. It's a word which may be equally translated reliance or trust. All right, so faith, in fact, most of the times when you come across this word faith in the New Testament, it'll be a similar meaning. Some contexts are slightly different, but most of them will mean faith is reliance or ability to trust. The word doubt is a Greek word which has at its, at its core the idea of being of two minds, of being double-minded, of not being able to decide one way or another and so not being able to decide. So the implication from this question from Jesus then is simply this, that Peter needed to grow in his ability to trust. I wonder if you've ever been in such a situation. Peter, of course, was in an extreme situation. Jesus had invited him to actually walk on water, which is something that I don't think you've ever done, nor have I ever done. But for all of us, we have come across situations in our lives, circumstances that have come into our lives, circumstances we didn't invite, circumstances we didn't want, that have overwhelmed us, that have caused us fear, that have caused us anxiety, that have caused us doubt. I was visiting a dear gentleman this week who's just having a really hard time with life right now. And the word he used for me was bewildering. It's, it's bewildering. I can't, I can't understand. I can't understand what these next steps are going to be. I wonder if you've been there or perhaps even you're there this morning. Our lesson today from this story, I believe, is intensely practical and applicable. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright makes this observation as he uh, looks at this story. He says, this story can be read as a picture of the life of faith, or rather, the life of half-faith. Faith mixed with fear and doubt, which is the typical state of so many Christians as it was with the disciples. I like this phrase, the life of half 
faith, faith mixed with fear and doubt. Perhaps you can relate to that yourself. Or sometimes circumstances come along and you want to believe, you want to have faith, but doubts creep in, fear creeps in. And we live this life of seeking to trust in an increasing way in God and in Jesus and what he's done and who he is. But we find ourselves with circumstances that come along that shake that faith, that trust. And sometimes we feel that our ability to trust is weak at best. It's my prayer this morning that no matter what circumstance of life that you might be in, that you might find some encouragement through this rather dramatic story. I want, us to ask, I want us to ask two questions of this text. First of all, I want to ask the question, how does trust grow? If, if Jesus is saying to Peter, your faith, your ability to trust is too small, how does it grow? And then I want to ask also, what is the outcome? If we have more trust, if we have more faith, what, is, what does that look like? What does it result in in our lives? We're going to spend the majority of our time considering ideas in response to the the first question here. But I'd like to begin with just briefly considering the second question. What is the outcome of more trust? If more trust comes in our life, what is the outcome? Come with me to the very final verse of the text that Marianne read to us. This is the response of the 12. This is the 12 in the boat. They've been in the storm, and now finally Jesus and Peter are back in the boat, and the storm settles down. How do they respond? And those in the boat worshipped him. And they said, truly, you are the Son of God. As we observe the shape of this story, we notice that Jesus very intentionally puts these 12 men into a a situation where they are going to be at the end of their wits. They're going to be the end of their resources. They're going to be full of fear. It's an opportunity for, for their trust to grow because they no longer have confidence in their own strength. In fact, I believe as we look at these hours on the Sea of Galilee, and by the way, Jesus comes walking on the water in the fourth watch of the night, so he sends them off in the evening. We don't know exactly how long the storm is building, but the storm is building through the night. Jesus doesn't come till sometime between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the morning. You can imagine how tired they are, how full of fear they are, because the storm is raging against their boat. I believe that these hours on the Sea of Galilee would be among the most strong and vivid memories of their whole three years with Jesus. It's that, that kind of an event. And I believe that their ability to trust in Jesus grew through this extreme event. And what was the result? Well, they worshipped. They worshipped. And it seems to me, and we'll wrestle with this a little bit at the end, but it seems to me as trust grows in our lives, as our trust in Jesus grows, our trust in God grows, we will worship. We'll look at that a little bit more at the end of our time together. But this experience on the lake may be seen, therefore, as one where their ability to put their trust in Jesus grew, and especially for Peter. So let's come back to the question, how is it that trust grows in us? How is it that trust grows in the lives of the disciples? I want to suggest these 
points that we can observe, these, these circumstances that we can observe in this story, I want to suggest to you that trust has the opportunity to grow through storms, through stepping out, and through sinking. I have to say, I don't often look for words that all start with the same word, but this just kind of fell on my lap. It's pretty good. Helps us. It's kind of a memory hook, right? Trust has the opportunity to grow through storms, through stepping out, and through sinking. Please note, first of all, that I'm suggesting here, trust has the opportunity to grow. Just like flowers or vegetables that you put in your garden, just because you put it in the garden doesn't mean they're going to grow. They have the opportunity to grow. But some attentiveness is required. And I believe similarly, we can be put, our lives can be put in all kinds of circumstances in our lives, and we may or may not learn to grow in trust. It depends on how we respond, depends on how we react. It depends if we're attentive to the need to grow this trust, this faith in Jesus in our lives. So let's look at each one of these circumstances. First of all, trust has the opportunity to grow through storms. Of course, in this story today, we have a very physical, real storm. And our 12 friends here who are experienced sailors, most of them have a, have a real physical storm that really challenges their faith, their trust, their ability to trust because the storm is so, so strong against them in their boat. But of course, we may consider in our lives this in a more allegorical way where we know that circumstances come our way that we don't ask for. Stormy circumstances come our way sometimes that we don't ask for, but we have to go through. So let's make some observations about how trust has the opportunity to grow in storms. First observation I'd like to make under this uh, point is to say that storms often come after success. Storms often come after success. In order to, to really look at this, we have to step back from the actual story that we read and look at Matthew chapter 14. What's the event that happens just before this uh, event on the Sea of Galilee? Well, if you look up the, up the verses in Matthew chapter 14, we discover that the event that occurs immediately preceding this one is the one where Jesus feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. What an amazing miracle that was, right? Can you imagine being one of the disciples on that hillside as, as the little boy brings the five loaves and the two fishes and Jesus prays and then starts doling out food, right? Can you imagine being one of those disciples? Okay, here, have some more. There's lots, there's lots back there. No problem. Have some more. Take some home. And all those people are fed from that very little bit of food. And it's this miracle that makes you feel good because such good work is being done. And the disciples get to be both the waiters and the busboys at this event. Right? They deliver the food and they pick up the scraps afterwards and put it in 12 baskets. And you can imagine if you put yourself in their place of just the good feeling that would be to be a part of such successful ministry. Look at what Jesus has done. Look at what we have done beside Jesus. And maybe that spills a little bit over into, wow, 
wow, look at me. Look at what I was able to do in that ministry. I'll bet Jesus is pretty glad to have me on his team after all. What a heady time that must have been for these followers of Jesus. But there's a danger. There's a danger. And Jesus knows about this danger. And so what do we read as we come to the very first verse of our reading today? Listen to what happens right at the end of that miracle, the beginning of this experience on the sea. Verse 22 says this, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Immediately, he made them. Jesus knew what he was doing. He knows that they're going to run into circumstances that are totally beyond their control. I believe Jesus also knows that our broken human propensity is to let success go to our heads. Makes us feel that we, after all, have quite a lot to offer Jesus in terms of our skills and our ability. No wonder Jesus made me a part of his team. I also find it fascinating that right away, after Jesus sends the 12 off into the storm, that Jesus goes up a mountain to pray for hours, for most of the night. Jesus spends time talking with his father. What do you think he's talking to his father about? Well, we don't know, do we, really? But I wonder if he isn't praying earnestly for his dear friends so that they would be cautious of the dangers of spiritual pride, of success in ministry, and that they would learn that that in that place where our, our attention comes to ourselves, that we can never learn to grow in trust of Jesus. Our attentiveness always needs to be on him and not on our accomplishment. And spiritual pride is a very, very slippery slope. And so it seems to me sometimes that these storms come into our lives to correct our thinking, to, to, be, to help us be careful not to fall into the place of pride. And what do storms do? Secondly, then, storms take us to the end of ourselves. This doesn't need too much explanation, probably. If you're a fisherman here on the West Coast and you like to take your small boat out on the ocean to fish, you know how important it is to listen to the weather forecast and to listen for the small craft warnings because you know that in a small boat, you don't have the capacity, the resources to deal with the full power of the wind and the waves, particularly on some parts of the West Coast of our island. There are no resources you can muster to help you if the storm is too violent for the size and capacity of your boat. But some of us feel that in our lives too, don't we? Sometimes circumstances come upon us that are just too strong. We've all experienced at different times storms that have taken us to the limit of our resources. When a loved one dies, there's nothing you can do to bring them back. You have to go through those stormy waters of grief and loss and loneliness. Or perhaps when a loved one or yourself gets diagnosed with a particularly difficult diagnosis, there's nothing you can do but step into that and pray. 
When you lose your job and still the expenses pile up day by day, you feel helpless to provide for daily needs. When you find yourself embroiled in conflict that's deep, complicated, perhaps long-lasting, it feels like there's no way to find peace. There's lots of examples. But I would ask each one of us, what are the storms for us? Perhaps now, perhaps in the past. What are the storms for us that have taken us to the edge of our resources that have caused fear, that have caused doubt, that we've struggled with so hard. Well, the next observation I want to make is that these very storms provide an opportunity to look to Jesus. These very storms provide an opportunity for our attention to be drawn to Jesus. And again, it's providing this opportunity. It's not automatic. It's something we have to be attentive to. So we imagine our 12 friends in the boat exhausted from trying all night to keep a ship afloat. And then along comes Jesus just strolling on the top of the water. And of course, it's dark and it's stormy and it's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And of course, it looks like a ghost and they're terrified. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is doing in a, in a way that he doesn't do anywhere else. Jesus is showing to his friends that he has all power and all authority over every circumstance of life in himself. That's what he's showing them. There's no storm that's too stormy for him. He is the Lord of the storm. He is the Lord of all creation. There is no opposition, no circumstance. There's nothing that's beyond his control. And so in this most dramatic way imaginable, Jesus is reassuring his friends that no matter what the storm may look like, no matter how fearful you may be, I'm here. And the storm is not stronger than I am. And Jesus says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And so at the same time, as these storms come and they take us to the end of our resources, they also invite us very specifically to look to Jesus, the only one who really has all of the resources in, under his control. And so the question for us then, and when, when these circumstances come into our lives that cause us fear, that cause us doubt, where do we look? Where do our eyes go? Where does our attention go? What is our attentiveness pointed towards? I believe in any storm we experience, we have an opportunity, an incredible opportunity to grow in trust, to grow in faith. Because as we look to Jesus, we see him as the one who's walking on top of the water. He's walking on top of the storm, no matter what that is in our lives. And we have the opportunity to look and to hear his voice. So we have opportunity to grow in trust through the storms of life. But a second circumstance that we see in this story is this, that trust has the opportunity to grow through stepping out. And here, of course, we're looking at Peter. Peter is our main character here. And, and we, uh, we marvel at Peter. Let me just read to you from the message translation of, the, of this story, how Eugene Peterson translates this, uh, this story. I like the way he, 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 it's not too different, but a little bit. 
He says this, Peter, suddenly bold, said, Master, if it's really you, call me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come ahead. Jumping out of the boat, Peter walked on the water to Jesus. But when he looked down and saw the waves churning beneath his feet, he lost his nerve and started to sink. He cried, Master, save me. Jesus didn't hesitate. He reached down and grabbed his hand. And then he said, faint heart, what got into you? I love that name that Jesus, that he translates that as this name that Jesus calls Peter faint heart. Usually Peter is someone we see as brave heart, but here he's faint heart. And so Jesus says to him, you of little faith. I want to suggest to you that of all the people in the boat, Peter was the one who had the opportunity to grow the most in his trust of Jesus that day. In the year 2001, John Ortberg wrote a book based on this passage, and it's called, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. Uh, it's a good book, and I'd recommend you look for it, read it. It's still on Kindle. If you look for it, he has many good observations about this story. I want to simply make one observation here, and that's this. Jesus sometimes invites us to step beyond our resources in response to his call. As I was looking over that statement, it made me want to change the word or possibly change the word, one word in it. So Jesus sometimes, maybe we want to say Jesus often calls us, invites us to step beyond our, or maybe always, I don't know. But there's always a sense in which Jesus is calling us maybe to places that we don't feel we're equipped to go. We've spoken a lot about attentiveness this morning. What I want us to notice in Peter's, the way Peter responds to the situation is that Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, if it's really you out there walking on that water, invite me to come, command me to come. And then Peter waits for his answer. And some commentators notice that that's quite uncharacteristic of Peter because Peter's usually very impulsive. And you can just imagine him seeing Jesus and just jumping and going. But no, he waits, he asks and he listens for the answer. But let's look at what he does. Peter does something from a human perspective that we would probably call brash, foolish, kind of thoughtless. I mean, did Peter actually do a probability study here and see how many other people have managed to walk on the top of the water? And what did he find out? But Peter's decision-making was not based on probability studies. Peter's decision-making here was based on Jesus walking out there and listening for his voice. Peter heard the voice of God and he stepped out. I have to say, as I've been at this church now for approximately a year and a half, and I've had the privilege of coming to know many of you, how encouraged and challenged I am by many of you in this church, as I hear you talking about how you talk to God and how you listen to the voice of God. Many of you talk to me about how, yeah, God didn't give me the freedom to do that today, so I'm going to do this, or, but just this conversation with God that so many of you have, and it's very, very encouraging for me because I think attentiveness has to do with listening to the voice of God in our lives. 
This decision of Peter, of course, wasn't a regular everyday decision. It was a decision to step out where no man had ever gone before into that stormy water on top of the water. But perhaps, perhaps you're having a sense that God is calling you as you listen for the voice of God. God is calling you to go in a place that's scary and stormy and beyond your resources. May I encourage you, may I encourage me, may I encourage all of us to keep on listening for the voice of God day by day in our lives. I think this is the lesson from Peter. Turn your eyes towards Jesus. He can and will equip you with everything that you need for doing what he's asking you to do. So step out. Listen for his voice and step out. But finally, this third point that we want to look at very briefly is that trust has the opportunity to grow even through sinking. Yes, even through our failure to trust, even through Peter's failure to trust, I believe God strengthened his faith, strengthened his ability to trust in God. And I think God is good at doing that in our lives too. Peter's such a good example for us here. In, the, in this story, in this instant, it seemed like his failure and his doubt is is momentary, right? He's, his eyes are on Jesus, and then suddenly his eyes are drawn to the strength of the storm, and who can blame him for that? But as he looks at the storm and the fear sets in, he realizes he's in trouble, and he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus responds immediately by reaching out and saying, faint heart, why did you doubt? So perhaps the lesson we learned here is this, in failure or in times of doubt, turn your eyes immediately to Jesus. This is the attentiveness that we've been speaking about. This is the, the attentiveness that we need when we feel like we're, we're, we're being overwhelmed by fear or by doubt because of circumstance. Turn your eyes to Jesus. He's the one who's walking on top of that circumstance, whatever that circumstance might be. Often, if it's something like failure in our lives, what we find is that the shame of failures cause our attention to be turned inward, right? We feel bad about ourselves. We feel bad about what we've done. Jesus invites us to turn our eyes towards him for forgiveness, for salvation, for restoration, and for help. And he promises to be with us no matter what the storm. The storm may not abate immediately. But what we do have is the promise of Jesus being with us in the storm. This is the very strong promise that is throughout scripture for us. If we go forward in Peter's life a little bit further, we know that Peter failed in a more spectacular way at the time of Jesus' trial and his death. Like all the other disciples, Peter abandoned Jesus when he was arrested. But even worse, he denied even knowing Jesus, and he did that three times. Can you imagine how he felt? Well, we know how he felt because scriptures tell us that he went out and he wept bitterly. We understand Peter's response here. And perhaps, perhaps you feel that you've let Jesus down in some significant way. Perhaps it's something you've done. Perhaps it's a besetting sin in your life you can't gain victory over. Perhaps it's something you haven't done that you know needs to be done. Perhaps you too have wept bitterly. If we were to go to John chapter 21, we'd find the beautiful story of the restoration of Peter as Jesus, the post-resurrection Jesus, the resurrected Jesus meets, Jesus meets Peter on the beach. And what does Jesus do in John chapter 21? Three times 
to match Peter's three failures, three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Peter responds, yeah, Lord, you do know I love you. And what Jesus says to Peter is then love me and get outside of yourself, get outside of the self-pity and go and be the leader of your people. Pour yourself into my people, Peter. Get outside of yourself for my sake. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Turn back to Jesus and to his community. Well, we've seen three circumstances where truth has the opportunity to grow. Let's go from the bottom up on this one. It's absolutely possible that through that our faith and trust, our reliance on God can grow through our failures, through our times of sinking. But let's be sure to remind ourselves it's not automatic. It's not automatic. We need to be attentive. We must choose to return our gaze onto Jesus, whom we have failed, and receive his mercy and grace and forgiveness. It's also possible that our trust can go by stepping out. And as we re-engage the many different ministries in the church here, we're going to be encouraging each one of you to join in ministry in some way. And perhaps God is calling you to step into something that you're not feeling too confident about. Let me just urge you to listen carefully to the voice of God. I believe God wants to speak to us and encourage us to step out in faith, in trust in him. This is not about bravado or showing how strong we are, but it is about listening. It's about being attentive to the voice of God in our lives and saying, God, what is it that you want me to do? And stepping out as Peter stepped out. But it's possible that even in the storms of life, those circumstances that just seem to whirl over us that we don't want, even through those circumstances, Our trust in Jesus can grow, but again, it's not automatic. It depends on how we respond. It depends on who we look to. So let us not look to ourselves. Let us look to Jesus. And I believe that as we look to Jesus and as our trust grows, our ability to trust in all kinds of circumstances grows, that what will happen is that we will become worshipers. The outcome Result of increased trust is worship. Trust is about learning that I have very few resources on my own, but Jesus has all the resources of the universe at his disposal. And so I'm learning to trust in that, to step into that. And as I do that, my heart becomes full of worship for the beauty of Jesus, who is above all those circumstances. But I want to suggest here with this slide also that I think the words can be switched around Because I believe also that as we become more effective worshipers of Jesus, that our trust grows also. Right? So I think it's a two-way street here. As As we grow in trust through the circumstances of life, we grow to become better worshipers of Jesus. But also as we become better worshipers of Jesus, then we can receive these circumstances with more trust. Yeah? God is so good to us. Jesus is so beautiful and powerful and majestic. Let's turn our eyes to him. I'd like to invite the music team to come and join me again now. But as they come, I want to remind you of an old hymn that came to my mind as I was thinking about this idea of keeping our eyes on Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. 
If you know the words to this song, would you say them with me? I won't sing them, but let's say them together, shall we? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I have to say that I've sometimes struggled with the, the, the middle words there. The things of earth will grow strangely dim because I'm not sure that's true all the time. Sometimes I believe what God is calling us to do is engage life fully with his power. And it's, it's an earthly life that we're living here by his power. But in the context of our conversation this morning, what I do believe that will grow strangely dim is the fear, the doubts, the anxiety. As we turn our eyes to Jesus, may those things grow strangely dim so that faith can grow, trust can grow, and that we may step into the circumstances of life with confidence in him. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Podcast.